Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Podcast. My name is Andrew Frezza, and today I have a special interview for you guys. It's with Chris Thorndike of Factory Forge and Live Athletic. And Chris and I have actually known each other for a really long time. We grew up together in Jupiter, Florida, and we've known each other since about nine or 10 years old. We went to the same middle school together, the same high school together. We even played on the same travel soccer team for a couple of years growing up. And him, him and his brother, they started CrossFit Gainesville back in 2008. They since have rebranded to Live Athletic, and he now owns it with his wife, Stephanie. And he's also creator of Factory Forge, which he owns with John Swanson, the creator of the Granite Games. And they work with about 40 gyms one-on-one, consulting them and helping them grow their businesses. So Chris is someone that you guys gotta listen to. He's got a lot of great knowledge to share. In this first part of this episode, we talk about things like why he thinks the, the CrossFit Games is gonna get sold and why you need to own your brand, okay, long-term. He also talks about how to think about hiring and surrounding yourself with complimentary pieces, which he's done really well with both Live Athletic and Factory Forge. We talk about how to implement the book Traction into your business, which is something that all of you guys should be doing to some degree. And then we talk about how he attacks each day and each week to be as productive as possible. So I took about a four hour drive a couple weeks ago to spend the day with Chris and kind of see a day in the life of Chris. And this is a guy that definitely practices what he preaches. So enjoy part one of this interview and I'll see you on the other side. So give us just like a quick synopsis of your journey in CrossFit, your journey of finding CrossFit, owning a gym. Give us like those key timelines. Man, that's a big, big uh, timeline there. I'll try to consolidate it. Um, really, back in 2007, 2008 is where all this began. And I was actually in college at the time and had no clue what CrossFit was. So it wasn't even really a, an idea in my head to become an affiliate owner. Uh, my brother, older brother by two years, um, was doing triathlon and you know, really trying to find a way to just improve in that area. And he found CrossFit actually in Jupiter, uh, believe it or not. So uh, what gym was that? I don't remember what gym. Um, it may have been through the guys at Hugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, I'm not exactly sure, but he, you know, he's down in South Florida. I'm up in uh, Gainesville going to school at University of Florida. And he's like, you got to try this workout. And he's like, send me workouts. And he's like, I'm doing this. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, man. Like I was, you know, a typical bro uh, doing bodybuilding workouts thinking I'm like super fit. And uh, he must have tried for months to get me to do these workouts. And then it took him coming up to be like, no, you're doing this workout. (laughs) You're going to do this workout. Yeah. So it's, it's just funny how much I resisted it. Yeah. And then, you know, after the first workout, I think like most people, you're, you're changed. And for me kind of the epiphany was like it got me to feel what I felt when we were on team sports Mm -hmm. and that like competitiveness obviously was there but the the training like it was real training not working out to me right and there's a difference like I was training again and uh after doing that for months uh he kind of opened my eyes to hey there's like a whole nother layer to this like there's an affiliation there's uh certification you know let's go do that So still the business wasn't even a thought. It was just like, let's get better at learning this stuff because 
we talk about this all the time. Like, imagine if we had this in like elementary school or middle school. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I told you my nieces do this now. I'm like, man, they're doing it at four and five years old. Where, where could have we been? So we went down this rabbit hole of just, let's get as much consumption of the content they were putting out. And it was just uh, eye opening. And then at that point, um, what was the time from first workout to opening a space? Probably about seven months. Um, and, you know, that, just to give you some perspective, like I was 21, 22 years old and opening a business and doing all that stuff. You and know, still in school. And still in school and, and working, you know, uh, for a bank and uh, a credit union at the time. And, you know, so it was purely hobby, passion. Like, we don't have anywhere to do this. And I was telling you, I was a student uh, working out and they've got an amazing gym. And I'd go set up my CrossFit workout in like a couple different stations. And, you know, I'm getting weird looks like, what's this guy doing? Like, why, you know, why is he going from racing to one station? And then all of a sudden, you know, like someone steals your weights and you're like, oh, I can't even work out here. Yeah. So a lot of that was like, we need a new space. It's necessity. Yeah. So we're like, in our first spot, you know, my brother hops on uh, Craigslist. And he's looking for warehouses because that was like the template. I remember Glassman posted, you know, in uh, the journal, like starter box. And mm -hmm. it just made everything seem obtainable. You know, it's not like the landscape today where you have these beautiful gyms and this like setup that you, you look at and you're like, man, I got to do a major investment. Yeah. You know, people are building equipment out of like cinder blocks and like, you know, makeshift dumbbells. So it seemed very obtainable for how young we were as well as like where we were at in our life. And, uh, you know, I, we were talking about this yesterday, but just if you knew what you knew now about business, would you actually start? And I think yeah. we had that like energy and that like naiveness of like, we well, could do this. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. And then... Uh, I know you were pretty quick. You were pretty early on to start helping gym owners. When did you actually start helping gym owners? Yeah. Um, so like many affiliates out there, like you just don't know what to do from a business perspective. And I went to school for management and finance and I love that. By the time I worked, you know, six months into my affiliate, I had already had 17 jobs. So I have been you know, into working and making money and learning uh, that side of it. Um, and that was that was interesting for me, but I knew I wasn't an expert. And yeah. so we went out and got a, a business coach um, and it changed our life, our business, because we struggled for uh, a long time because it was very much underground. It's like the brand really didn't have an identity in the market. Um, so that's really what got my interest in helping other affiliates because I was being helped. And uh, soon I started developing processes and new systems and looking at, you know, kind of running the business a little bit differently. And they took notice of that. And um, I soon became a part of their team and helping um, kind of run events and be a speaker in those. And then eventually that grew into, um, you know, really just being a part of that team at the time. Yeah. Was that, uh, what, 2011? Um, yeah, it was probably about three years after, so somewhere around 2011, uh, 2012, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's interesting because that's kind of the same. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm like five years behind you in terms of timeline of when I got into it, when I opened all this stuff, but very similar for me of with this podcast is like 
just wanting to give people the impact that I've gotten from having mentors, having business coaches, and just having people that, like yourself, that are a little bit further along that have already made these mistakes. And it's like, okay, how can we share more of this totally. out there with the community? So. Yeah, you feel almost like obligated, right? Where you've figured out a few things and you've got some uh, momentum and you're like, man, if just more people knew this. And we mm -hmm. see it in the forums, like people asking questions, you're like, ah, oh, I've fixed that or I've progressed past that. And I mm -hmm. think that was the bug in me where you know, you're a coach helping people through their health and their journey there. And it's really not that different from perspective of, you know, helping affiliate owners. It's just, um, you got to want to love to help and serve people. And that's mm -hmm. that connection for me. And then you, uh, you started as CrossFit Gainesville, you rebranded to live athletic. When did that happen? Yeah. Um, that was in 2014. Um, still affiliated, you know, Strongly a part of the community. One of my favorite things every year is to go to the games and talk with Glassman. Like, I will hunt him down for my 20 to 30 minutes with him and just get caught up in the conversation. And um, so I'm very much just, I'm a, attracted to the, the energy and the just vision that guy has, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think we all are in, in that case. And I'm even more interested nowadays of like, where are we going? Like, what do you expect from us as affiliates? So there's a lot in that, but yeah, the, uh, the start and the momentum of just getting involved in affiliate was, you know, it was addicting. Since you touched on that, I mean, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but what's your general feeling of where CrossFit's going and where you guys fit in? Are you excited about where it's going? Do you think it's going to be more positive than it is negative? Yeah, so I guess I'll kind of circle back around too. So you mentioned uh, when did I change the brand? You know, a lot of that was the landscape of um, the growth in the market of affiliates, but also I had a scare somewhere around like 2012, 2013, um, where I started seeing several affiliates getting de And I didn't quite understand it, and I don't think a lot of people really understood it because you mm -hmm. can get your affiliation pulled at any point and I was associated with this consulting firm and uh, the head of it got into you know uh, some complications with CrossFit and they didn't see eye to eye and I was kind of attached to this group and it scared me where like if I were to have that affiliation and that name uh, just pulled and uh, I've spent the last several years promoting that brand in my local community and all of a sudden if tomorrow I can't use that name and be known for that who am I no one's gonna be able to find me yeah so that was that epiphany of like you got to own your name and it was the whole concept of CrossFit is a program not my company name or brand and uh, that's where that sh whole shift came in um, so kind of fast forward to the the future or of like where that potential is going as a group or our affiliate community I think that for a long time I felt like the early roots of CrossFit was different from where they were going as a whole over the last several years with the games and I think mm -hmm. the games kind of overpowered the mission of what I've always uh, believed in I think there's the sport side and then you've got the health program side right and I, I am super excited that they're making the changes they are um, so I believe the games will be sold. Um, I believe that 
that will continue to live, but I think it's something like uh, a major expense for them to run. It's a distraction from what the core is. And, you know, uh, studying and learning from Glassman, he's like got this major initiative to take down, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Big Soda and some of these, you know, companies that are um, each kind of pulling at the, at the, the world for their attention. And he wants his name in there in terms of the brand. And I think that's the direction we're going um, is trying to be more of a global health initiative and program for people. And people laugh, right, about the the new ads or the previous ads of these elderly people. And it was like a huge swing from super competitive to, you know, elderly. I think they're kind of finding that route of like, where do we fit into the landscape and market? And then what can we do exceptionally well? And for as an affiliate, that gets ex- exciting for me because um, if we do appeal to um, the masses and um, the sports side was great, but it's intimidating and yeah. it prevents people from looking at us as a health program or as an option uh, when you're out of shape or not fit. And that is truly our mission in the world, I think, is to help people that haven't found fitness or that are struggling with fitness. And I don't want to be that brand that only promotes elite level athlete, you know, yeah. athletes. And it doesn't set us up long term as all these affiliates trying to help our general member, which fits more of that long term health view, not that elite level athlete. Um, so I see it as a good thing and I'm excited about it. And uh, I wish there was more information on it in the yeah. direction. I think every affiliate does. But that's another reason why you got to own your brand. Yeah. It's like because we don't know um are you going to bank that they're they're going to stay in good faith and that uh we're going to continue in this direction or could it be that they sell tomorrow everything mm-hmm. um because also i don't know if you guys remember that like there was venture capital potential sale for yeah. the divorce of you know the glassmans that freaked me out too i'm like i don't want to become a franchise you know that's not what i signed up for so that in itself was a lot of learning lessons in owning your brand, uh, having a lot more control. And at the end of the day, like we're small business, so we have to take care of our families first. Uh, we have to be able to take care of the coaches that we employ in our local community. And it's hard to do that when you know you don't really know what the direction or the future of you know the affiliate. Yeah, that you're- yeah. It's one thing to you know. I think I think a lot of people think rebranding is just attaching a different name to what you're already doing and it's one thing to rebrand because you have to and to do it in a short period of time and it's another thing to plan out a rebrand and to have a you know a very specific process behind it and be strategic about it um so i have a couple questions on that since you started kind of open up that topic which is like how long does that process take how long did that take for you to like truly rebrand how like you know both before it was announced the members and then once it's announced to where it actually feels like it is your brand and it's no longer CrossFit Gainesville. Um, and then secondly, we can talk more about how many gym owners you work with later on, but like what percentage of gym owners that you work with are you encouraging to rebrand? And then at what point in their process are you having them rebrand? Like, Because I'm sure that's not the first thing on every call, but maybe it is the first thing on some call that you have with a gym owner that that is what you need to do right now. Yeah. Uh... I think that it's going to vary based on where you're at. And we've talked about this, um, meaning that like the nature of the business and how focused you are on like 
just trying to make money and survive versus you're you know more in uh, a growth mode and you've got a base uh, it varies because as most people know like this is not a money generating thing and if you go into it thinking that that's not going to be the case mm -hmm. um, so one of my you know uh, thoughts is that you're actually never it's not a start and a finish thing mm -hmm. I'm still doing branding um, and one of our initiatives right now is now that we have kind of focused our brand and focused our core um, it becomes how do we share that both from the moment a prospect steps out of their car in the parking lot to you know walking into the facility what do they see where do their eyes go what's their foot traffic like because these are all mini like opportunities to have a billboard and what do you want to say and that's you know the focus and the attention on why you want to have a brand is you're getting clear on this identity so it never really ends i think you just get more specific you get sharper on who we are and who we're not and when that gets clear it becomes easier to implement in terms of like color schemes and websites and mm -hmm. building and logo like all of that stuff can be relatively quick but it's almost like an empty shell so in terms of doing that stuff, I mean, we flipped it in uh, a weekend in terms of really? painting the building and getting, but it was months of work. Okay. And I have an affiliate right now. We're working with um, uh, CrossFit Cata is considering this. And, you know, we're going through like, what are my first steps? And it's really like, what's the name? Like, yeah. how do you like, I know you still want to be an affiliate and you believe in the model, but what's going to represent you well um is it going to be aligned with search engines is it going to be aligned with like a core belief what's the name so that's yeah. really the hardest part i think i i agree actually tony and i were talking about this just this past week because he wanted me to ask you about this the rebranding and we were like we were both very open to the idea of rebranding and we both like the biggest hold up right now was like there was not a name that really just and not that we were throwing out names even but we couldn't even really get a starting point to think of this would be something that we would really feel like fits our value in this you know new direction not not that new but just like where are we going in the future and uh yeah so much of it it branches off that name and it has to be something that just yeah. is is it you know and it's not as simple as picking a name like i love that name because we fell in love with a lot of names but then you'll find like it's maybe a competitor in the market or it's uh you know licensed or it's trademarked and like you're back to square one so you might feel like a certain way towards this but you may not actually need oh yeah uh be able to even claim that name so there's a there's a whole component of that and then i feel like once you do have a name it's a victory you guys should celebrate that oh, yeah and then you move on to like the mark and the logo right and like there's so many like meanings and symbols that how do we project and think about the future of when I look at that mark, does it represent us and, and movement? So like, I'll give you an example where um, at the time we had a, a designer at Forge, um, Dom is just an amazing designer and we spent some time uh, coming up with, probably, he nailed it within like the first few mock-ups and I was just blown away. And if you look at Live Athletics, it's an L and it's an A but it's a mountain. So it's symbolic of mm -hmm. challenge and progressing and, and movement forward and you know reaching new goals at the apex. 
and then it's brackets which are like scope so you're focused in on what it is that you're searching for or challenge so there was a lot of um, you know uh, input into that and for me every time I look at it I, I feel a certain way yeah. I'm connected to it and I think as an owner like there has to be that intrinsic feeling when you look at your company like pride and proud and when you have meaning it gives it energy and then when you talk about it you put it on shirts like you can tell that story and now people are becoming a part of the culture right and that's to me a real brand is like it's got to move you so that's the challenging part is can you go through all that I mean example where we I don't want to say we screwed it up because we love the name but like beach fit for us yeah we're we're still battling people that they hear about it from a friend and they're like I don't want to work out of the beach it's like (laughs) No, it's not at the beach, but I mean, that's the kind of thing you have to do is with the name is test it in that sense of you need to give it that time to kind of like marinate in the community, the culture of whatever, in a small circle of people to say like, hey, how could this name be misinterpreted? Or, you know, what do you feel when you you, you hear this name, see this logo? Um, it's just interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. So let's talk about... Um, Let's talk about the business consulting side. All right. So how many gym owners do you work with today? And uh, like, what does a day in the life look like for you in terms of working with these people? Yeah. Um, so right now we, we serve 40. And I think I told you this the other day where I'm kind of on this search where um, I want to focus who we're working with. And it's important to me that gym owners recognize like where they're truly at in their business development. And I think there's different consultants for maybe different progressions of uh, the development. So there's like stages of growth. Like you've got startup and you've got this survival mode of just figuring out how to make money and like what's my offer, what's my memberships. There's a great consultant out there for that. And then as you evolve, um, someone else is probably better suited. It's kind of like that, that experience in the gym where as affiliate owners, you guys can take someone who's you know, brand new to this, to CrossFit and all of a sudden, you know, they progress and they go from just learning how to clean and jerk and, you know, hitting a PR back squat at 200. And then all of a sudden, fast forward three years later, they're like an elite level athlete. And it may be that you have to learn to let that person go. And I think that's important to recognize um, as a client, maybe searching for someone as well as a consultant to kind of know where you fit niche wise and who we can best help and serve because time is everything and I look at it as if we miss our mark on where we consult best and where a client is that timing can completely be off and the success rate is not as you know great where's your sweet spot with that right now what's what's your ideal gym yeah so I love, and Factory Forge has really been built on a base of systems and processes because, you know, my partner John Swanson, who also has a passion for long-term growth, sustainability, lifestyle, we're very big on trying to create profitable, uh, lean companies that provide both income and a certain level of freedom for our owners. And uh, it does require an affiliate owner to have kind of gone through those early startup phases. So I ideally look for someone that's probably around 10,000 to 20,000 a month in revenue Mm -hmm. and uh, has the first phase of growth taken care of, meaning that they're personally 
taking in an income that allows them you know, to survive and take care of their family. And we can actually start to look towards investing in um, the things that are gonna grow the company uh, in terms of people, in terms of processes, and you know, different offers or revenue streams. So they, they need to kind of be in that place to actually get out of like scarcity mode, like mm-hmm. I'm not stable, and then be more in this like, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna think out and plan what the next few years in my company look like. So that would be my ideal niche of who I love to work with and who we're probably a good, better fit for. Nice, and uh, we didn't really talk about how you got into Factory Forge, you kind of missed that on the timeline. So do you wanna tell us a little bit about when that started and how you and John kind of connected? Yeah, so at the time, uh, I was working for a company called The Biz in terms of uh, consulting, loved it, got a lot of value. Andy Petronic, still a great friend. Uh, John Birch, I think he is a phenomenal consultant. And then over time, I just kind of grew apart from uh, that methodology, and I think our core values um, were different. So uh, I got to a place where I just didn't love that environment, and uh, and I wanted to do something different. Uh, John and I actually had talked about, because uh, we met through that consulting group, and um, kind of talked on opposite spectrums, where he really loved talking about marketing and offers and you know, um, setting up uh, memberships and, and being able to promote those and get people excited and, and bring them to the gym. And he was just always great with branding. Like if you look at all his stuff, like from Granite Games mm-hmm. to Fast and even Forged, um, it's funny because I was in um, Hawaii at a wedding and John is at home sending me uh, versions of the Factory Forge logo and we went through like a dozen of them and he like had this vision getting out of the shower and he sends me one of these and I'm like, boom, nailed it. So it's just the this creativity he was really good at, that mm-hmm. vision side. And then for me, it was always like, I like consistency. I like building things that last. I like um, having organizations so that you kind of can stack things on top of each other to grow and build off one another. So I really like that. Um, long-term approach to doing business and uh, having fun with that so we kind of came together because we were like total opposites but fit really well together and it's kind of like the front end of the business and the back end of the business and that's really all how this came together and at one point we were talking about merging companies which is crazy at the time to you know to think because he's in Minnesota I'm in Florida and we're like we're gonna merge brands and we're gonna be you know almost operate like a franchise and when we sat down and did all the numbers and like looked at the deal structure, it's like, this is really complicated. Oh yeah. So um, I wanted to get out of that consulting firm at the time and he was kind of on this path to becoming a consultant he was doing great work. And we were like, let's, let's form a group that we can combine our forces and our talents and skills. And we kind of established this business where he loved to work on the things that he loved and I didn't want anything to do with that because I knew he was good at it and I also didn't like doing that from a marketing sales standpoint and I was systems and operations and team and uh, he didn't want to touch that. So it was really a, just a good mesh and find for one another to complement each other, you know? Can we, yeah, can we talk about that a little bit more? Cause I feel like, I mean, one of the things I've learned especially as we've gotten more successful is like when you surround yourself with the right people that are complementary to you, it just, it shows you your strengths and weaknesses a little bit better. And then 
you know, it becomes a lot more effortless to create results because you can stay where you're strong and then you don't like you don't realize it until you get surrounded by really good people who are complimentary to you. So how do you like how did you know that at the time or has that something been something that's evolved over time to say like looking back, oh, I could see why now John and I are working or can you be more proactive about that in the future about finding those complementary pieces? Yeah, that's that's a big question. And, and what I've learned in looking back, um, I wasn't as intuitive about recognizing that as I am now. But I think at the time it was very clear because we understood what we liked to work on in the business or what we were passionate about. And knowing that that was total opposites, it was less looked at like, we each need to have the same skill set and we're alike and that's where we align. It was more like we recognize what needed to get done in the business and how we could each join forces and work on separate parts of it. And that was, I think, the first realization that, hey, this is starting to look like a team. And when I, when I first start working with companies that are, uh, I learn, you know, the owners are burned out or that energy is really struggling in the entire company often I'm presented with people in the wrong roles meaning they're doing things they don't love they don't like um, and they're struggling to actually wake up and be excited to work on that stuff right Mm -hmm. that probably sounds radically familiar for most people on uh, you know the business train but until you start self-growth and really get to know yourself from a personality standpoint, um, it's gonna be harder and harder to find these people or really you're kind of stumbling into learning your own skill sets, your own personality. So if you're proactive in those areas, I do think that you can choose a better, you know, say significant other, but you can also choose a better uh, team. And that means that your next hire could radically change your business or it could completely throw it off track mm-hmm. and it w- it could cost you years um, and uh, success. So I think understanding and focusing on your personality and what charges you up is step one and recognizing the skills and abilities that really just you want to work on. Those are the things you yeah. want to do all day. Granted, there's some stuff that you have to get done, right? Mm-hmm. And like we talked about this from a a financial side and and um, you know taxes and certifications and like someone's got to do that and you're not gonna necessarily pass some of those yeah. uh, sensitive things off to a team member right away but that's kind of the thing is like if you can home in on that like 80% and know that like maybe 20% of the stuff you're doing is you're good at but you don't love like that's kind of the how, how often do you do that like audit for yourself? Is that something you do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly? How, how often do you look back at a given period of time and say like, am I working on stuff that I'm passionate about? Yeah, I think this is a team maturity thing. So once you build a team, you want to try and keep that team together. And part of the process of building that is to recognize it. So as you know, I'm a big uh, supporter of traction, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that model and, um, they have a great tool where, you know, basically you delegate and elevate is the tool where, you know, the four quadrants of what you love and what you don't like and what you're good at, what you're not good at, um, that should be incorporated in, I think, every business. And that should be a, if you're listening to this right now, like you should 
go online and do that. So the first step is, what do I love? What do I, you know, uh, what am I good at and what I'm not? And then there, that's the starting ground for saying, am I even in the right seat? And if I'm not, let's start taking a look on how to get me there. But that is so dependent on, well, who's my next hire? Or is my team in their ideal roles? So it's very much just getting that done for each person on your team, I think. Because you won't know exactly um, who's on your team. It's like having a stranger on your team. I really yeah. felt like if you don't ask yourself these like um, hard questions of what's your experience, what you're good at, um, and then also from a personality standpoint, do you really know who's on your team? Like you might like them as a person, but does that mean that they're qualified to do the work alongside of you? And I think too many companies are trapped in that where you might socially connect and have similar personalities, but from a working relationship, if you really remove that emotional component, it's important, but just objectively looking at the skill and experience side to do the work, it may be completely off track. And you have to, you have to be okay with that. Because if, if the goal is to win, if the goal is to build the business and be most successful there, I'm gonna pick the person that's most qualified. And then I'm also gonna look for their core value and personality but I can't hire without that experience, that ability, that skill set being there. Because otherwise, they're not qualified to do the work. And then I'm choosing someone based on, say, likability, mm-hmm. which is never going to end well. Are you thinking about that uh, the same for every role? So like whether it's a coach, whether it's an administrator, whether it's someone you're going to work with in Factory Forge, or is it different as a coach because maybe that likability is more important because they're going to have to have that likability with 200 of your members versus you need a marketer for factory forge and it's like it doesn't really matter if i like this guy that much i need to make sure they're effective at facebook marketing and and copy and all that stuff do do you feel like it's different for that no it's kind of all the same where i think it's the same kind of perspective in which we look at qualifying clients we work with. Um, And I'm talking about on the gym level and the consulting level, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you don't have a standard of who is a good fit for you to work with, um, it's gonna be really difficult to even build a community or a team for that matter of knowing that each of you serve a certain purpose on the team and that's to propel it forward. And if two people are the same, like one of you is not needed, then you start getting into why am I paying two people that have similar skill sets when I'm, mm-hmm. I need this thing to get done? So I think in that realm, uh, there are certain clients that are not suited to work with us and um, vice versa. Like I said before, like I think different phases of growth in the company um, suit different consultant experiences or what they're researching now. Um, But I think this question also can be kicked down to from a a gym level of, I just got a phone call, we were talking about this the other day, where think about from an affiliate owner, when you have members that um, don't necessarily gel with the community or they don't, uh, they're not coachable. Like that could be a prerequisite and you form that into your initial like interviewing. Um, So for us, I, I look at interviewing Uh, team members like that's more formalized right like you get candidates or applicants you interview them you're you're doing all that stuff 
interviews at the gym level are simply enrollment appointments. Mm-hmm. If you really treat that like an enrollment appointment, you can protect or insulate that community that you're building. And we were talking about this the other day where what happens if you have your, your system laid out where you have a salesperson and their number one drive is to make sales. And they do that over and over again. They're killing it on the sales front. But they're enrolling all these different personalities, all these different levels of athletes. When they hand that off to your coaching team, and these people are giving them so much trouble and problems, they don't fit this like mm-hmm. ideal mold. That's what we call an ideal client. Hopefully, they're kicking it back to you and say, "What are you doing? Like this person's giving me so much trouble. You know, they're trying to work out outside the class. They're you know bringing barbells across the floor. They're talking during my group coaching. Like, who did you invite in here?" So it becomes those little issues where you start to see that, hey, we need a better filtering process. So I think that's kind of the root of what I'm saying when I look at systems. It's like interviewing is largely qualifying who who do we best fit with. And I think that can be applied from both building your team standpoint or selecting your clients. So Cool. Yeah, I think uh, that's something we're definitely not thinking about enough uh, in, in our gym is like, you know, especially it's one thing if you're doing personal training. If we're a personal training gym, that person's probably not affecting the experience of that many other people. When you're talking a group class setting that's very community based and very family based, that one person can drastically affect the quality of the class for the 15 people who are your ideal clients. And you know, if if you can create a service that people rave about because they don't have that one person in class you're going to get way more of people like them rather than trying to hang on to just the numbers for the sake of the numbers when it's it's going to be in the long term it's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you yeah and and i would say one of our first steps when we start working with um, clients is really to identify the niche and the focus on who do we serve best and who does that owner love to work with regardless of like if it is elite athletes or it is like elderly is it is it kids whatever like that part has to resonate with what you love and your core belief. And then we can go out and find more people like that. But if that is unknown, yeah, you're basically building this melting pot of, I don't know what's gonna happen on the service side if I bring all of these people in with different goals and expectations. Because at the end of the day, our service, we're trying to be so crystal clear on what's the end result. Right, like, what are we trying to? Where are we trying to get to, and what it's look like? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. And then, how long does it get? There? You know, how long does it take to get there? So, from uh, a gym side or a consulting side, it's like if we don't lead with what is that end result for that initial coaching program, it becomes really unclear, and that's where we see, you know, uh, gym clients get off track, or you know, uh, gym owners wanting to fire clients. It has everything to do with um, managing expectations. And the same thing on the consulting side is we have to be very clear with, well, what's the first step that we're trying to build out in your company and what's that result really look like? Hmm. So let's talk about traction. Um, there's so much to the book traction. And I, I've yeah. seen it recommended. I've recommended it before. seen it recommended on other podcasts and through other you know, mentors and coaches in our field. To me, it's just like, it's a rabbit hole. There's so much in that. And it could take you kind of the way you're always rebranding. It's like you're always trying to do something from traction a little bit better, implement a new thing. So if you could maybe help us 
break that down a little bit, like where should people start with that book? Where should people focus their time and energy? And what things were you guys able to layer in over time versus like, we're gonna go, we're gonna completely shift everything and this is what we're gonna do. Um, and then what stuff had to be kind of like layered in more so, and then what stuff have you just not done at all? Maybe it's just mm. doesn't fit with your business. Um, what I love about that program, it is somewhat progressional where you'll find that a starting place is just getting ideas and vision out on paper, you know, the VTO. So I think sometimes it's difficult for people to um, focus and actually move forward and build traction because there's all these ideas all over the place. And I've found that, you know, you open up a lot of small business and this isn't just affiliates. It's like, not many businesses are taking the time to build an identity or focus their marketing or their ideal client. And that should be step one. Like what's important to me as a person in terms of core values is actually the first step to finding what's important to me as a business. Because we talk about this all the time, like early on in small business, you are the business. Like you're the whole energy, heartbeat, you name it. And without you understanding what is important to yourself and how you see the world and it's going to be hard to just build this thing and it's going to be um, almost like an empty shell so the VTO is I think built world class it just brings so many of those ideas into focus and now we have a starting place right whether they're right or wrong or they're actually where you're going to end up at least we can have communication and start saying like this feels like me or this is actually you know, um, who we want to become. Yeah. And, uh, so that's step one, I think in a must. And then obviously as you get through the program, it kind of forces you into these points of, uh, getting what's inside your head on paper and for the sake of communication, for the sake of, um, analyzing whether that's truly what you want. So I think a lot of people feel like it needs to be right, or it needs to be 100% like this is where we're going and that's not how things work it's more or less like a lighthouse to kind of head in the direction of the light but things rapidly change you know you could have a business partner fall out you could have um, someone move in the the ownership and that radically changes things so that's just life but at least we've got somewhere in terms of direction ahead um, as you know companies build this model out I find that one of the most important parts of that is getting the structure of the company built, meaning who does what, what do we call them in terms of titles and roles, and then what do their schedules look like? What do their pay look like? So that adds this sense of confidence to the company, like we have a chain of command. And it's the same reason, you know, in Fortune 500 companies, military, there needs to be a chain of command because without organization, there's just chaos and you can be overworking you can step on people's toes and I remember early on in my business with my brother you know I we were mentioning we both run family companies mm -hmm. and uh, this was tough for us um, being that young and not really understanding who we were as people um, and then building that business and saying well I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and then like we kind of had this unspoken divide and I think you're talking about yeah. that before and like it wasn't until we really drew things out 
from this is where my boundaries are, don't come in my box, and I won't come in your box, to the point where we actually started getting some clarity. And it could be a, a point in time where most businesses don't have that, and it feels like you're lost, or it feels like one partner isn't doing enough, or you don't even know what your partner's doing, or you don't know what your employees are doing. And it's because there's no, you know, there's no detail in what they should be doing. Um, so I think that's a, an important lesson that has helped me grow tremendously and f- just for the sake of getting it on paper because now you've got a map, right? You've got some something to mm-hmm. work off of in, in a milestone. And then as you build out that program, I think there's a lot of depth in uh, the finer details of, you know, like how to develop a team and meet Yeah. And, and I think the meetings ones is really important and sometimes it feels like it doesn't fit in small business because you're like, who am I going to meet with? I don't have any employees, right? <laughs> or like, I got part-timers. And I think there's lessons in that that we apply with people who have part-time employees where it may be you're thinking in the context of, I got to be a certain size to run this model. But it may be that uh, if you have all part-time coaches, uh, that your first meeting is actually a coach's meeting. And maybe it's happening every other week, but it's that this time to solve the issues that are happening on the floor and then discuss the possible solutions and then move forward with that plan. So what, what do your plan. meetings look like? If, if you were to map out a month, like how often are you meeting with like, well, your business partner now is your wife, Stephanie. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I'm sure there's informal meetings daily, but how, how often are you formally meeting with her, formally meeting with like maybe a management team? And just on the gym side, not not on the consulting side, but just on the gym side, what does your meetings look like? Yep. Um, so we do something called a same page meeting. Some people call it an owner's meeting. Um, and it's kind of the heartbeat of two people involved in the over, you know, reaching purpose of the company, the two owners. And that's where we come together to talk about the company, talk about the issues, overreaching, you know, more of the big picture stuff. So that happens once a week and it's 90 minutes long and uh, it's really recommended that that happens um, on a regular or reoccurring basis, but also for some people it means get out of the office and go do that um, somewhere other than at work or in front of employees. And then that, that becomes a great place to be able to just check in with your person, vent, or in some cases, um, if you do have a manager or full-time person, maybe that's where that happens. But um, it's a really important process to be able to just say, I have ideas. I've got things on my mind. Doesn't mean we have to put them into action or do anything with them. It's just kind of a soundboard. And then from there, once those things open up, they can be put into plans and strategies and actions. But most people hold on to things. So if, if you're a solo owner, like yeah. we have, we've always had business partners. I have my brother, you've had your brother and now Stephanie. If you're a solo owner, do you do that for yourself? Do you have a business coach? I mean, are those the only two options? What else, what else is there? Yeah. Uh, a coach is really important. I mean, uh, I have a partnership and I have, uh, an EOS, uh, business coach. So I'm very big believer in consulting and coaching. So if you don't have that person, think about it's like being um you know in a relationship and not being in a relationship meaning like you what's the most significant thing about your day when you come home you talk to your significant other and you Mm -hmm. share things and you get some things out of your head 
if you don't have that inside your business, you're going to feel trapped or you're going to feel like, is that, is that a good idea? Or should I wait on that? Or is that too soon? And like, you need that. Um, otherwise it's, it's going to be difficult to, have you ever seen anybody that's good at doing that for themselves where it's like, they can just simply like you have a startup owner, let's say maybe they have one or two coaches. So the coach is not heavily involved yet. They can't afford a business coach yet, or at least they think they can't. And it's like, maybe your advice is like, you just have to set a two hours a week that you go to a coffee shop, you get out of, out of the gym. Have you seen that something like that be effective for someone? I think everything can be broken down into kind of micro doses of progress where just the fact that they are getting out of their company and thinking about their company from an objective standpoint, heck yeah, that's a, that's a huge step for many of, you know, the affiliate owners or small business owners out there. Like if that wasn't happening, it, it will probably feel like you're so caught up in all the tasks and the, um, you know, just day-to-day weeds of the company and you can't ever really look up and say, what's my plan? What's my strategy? Am I even heading in the same direction? So I think that's a good first step of starting to think about like, where am I going? And you know, it's like picking up a book, right? Um, being able to read and apply things to your business, I think that helps. Um, but often it'll feel like maybe you're picking out certain things within um, a book, but you don't actually know if it's the right thing or if you're setting it up uh, properly to save you time or it's going to get you to that end result um, when you expect. So that's where I start seeing you might pick up a little momentum from books and tips and videos and free content, but then sooner or later you're going to say, hey, I want to step on the gas or I want to make sure that um, I'm building this thing for my two-year goal and I just kind of feel like I'm putting a bunch of patches together or spare parts together. So it has a lot to do with clarity and speed and confidence that I'm actually going to hit my mark or my target. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about like what does a day in the life of Chris look like? I mean, I've gotten to experience it. I drove up here uh, last night, Thursday, and this is a Friday morning. So we bike to the 5:30 a.m. class. He said you do that maybe once a week, um, and then did a workout at at, at Live Athletic. Um, what does it look like from there? You you always do the 5:30, right? And then what do you do from there? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, you pretty much lived my schedule today. So I'll, I'll come home, walk the dog, um, usually have a podcast in. Otherwise, we, you know, talked, uh, you know, this morning. But usually business-minded podcasts. Um, Tim Ferriss is great. Uh, I love listening to Clients on Demand um, is another I one. I don't know that one. Um, any others that may not know about? I think a lot of people know about Tim Ferriss, but any other good business ones? Um, I really like Joe Rogan. I pick a lot up from, uh, because my mind thinks in like systems and processes and like I'm pretty good at pulling ideas or concepts from one market to another. So at some point, as long as I'm listening, I feel like I'm learning. And uh, they're all generally under the scope of business or there might be a cool guest, but they happen to be uh, be a business owner. Um, and then Planet Money, I'm fascinated by that. How uh, how we built this is a great one because I like diving into how these owners go from startup to growth phase to now like maybe they sold. It's a really cool progression. And the way I attribute it and why I love the gym industry so much is it's like building athletes, right? Like you take someone from the ground up and you just see how they transform. It's the same thing with companies. 
Um, so those are some of the things I'm listening to when I'm, I'm walking uh, Stanley. And uh, come back, eat breakfast, and then I try to be in the office somewhere around 8.30, 9.00. And, you know, check-in emails isn't really on the radar yet. I try to have a project or a focus because one of the reasons why I train so early is I feel like the world's not kind of up yet. And I laugh or joke with people uh, at the gym I train with. I feel like I get two days out of one because by the time I've gotten up, trained, and then gotten through my first project, I kind of start the second phase of my Mm -hmm. day. Um... And then I've got, you know, a whole different focus. So usually dive into initial project uh, mid-morning. And then uh, from there, emails and kind of the daily grind of getting back with people, making podcasts or uh, videos uh, for content, um, answering any questions with, you know, clients and, and so on. Uh, that would probably be most realistic of a work day. And then somewhere around like 5 o'clock, I'm kind of winding down. Um, and that has more to do with, you know, taking care of the dog, um, starting to dive into uh, maybe waiting for Steph to get home from the gym, if that's a, a work day for her, getting dinner ready, and then bedtime, maybe like a show, and then restart. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, pretty similar days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday, Thursdays, I um, consult pretty heavily on, so I'm on the phone. So you kind of batch those for those days? Yeah, and this is the same I experienced in the gym where you really do have to compartmentalize certain days or time block them. And I'm a type of person that I require a lot of focus because I get off track. Um, so big blocks of time that I own with not a lot of schedules or appointments on there, I do best with. And it allows me to be in my zone or my flow of working on uh, the things that I am. Because because I focus a lot on systems and processes, there's so many fine details and steps. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, so I like those big blocks. Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's like typical, you know, uh, from 9 a.m. to probably 5, I'm on the phone, on a call, working with clients. They're really intense days. Um, I love them and I get a lot of value out of them, but they're pretty draining too. It's like the coach that coaches four classes in a row, oh, three yeah. classes in a row. Like you feel that. You're riding those emotional highs and lows of, you know, your your uh, cons- your clients hit a big month or they're having a rough month and you're trying to totally. out fires. So yeah, that that's Tuesday, Thursdays. And then I'll just share what I do on the weekends if we're going full circle here. Yeah. Uh, I train five times a week, um, so I've got kind of a set schedule there. Uh, I usually shoot. I'm getting really into target shooting and tactical shooting, so every weekend I'll go shooting and then go hit the Saturday morning class, and then my wife and I will have some kind of project. Uh, I think I told you this. We're into yeah. like woodworking and like kind of furniture building and just kind of improving the, the home projects right now. And then Sundays, and that's usually Saturday, and um, you know, I put as much on the project side. And then Sundays are really chill, like no schedule. Um, wake up later, you know, in the in the morning, uh, grab breakfast, walk the dog, and just kind of chill out. Yeah. And then, like most affiliate owners or or gym people, like you start thinking about grocery shopping, food prep, and that kind of rolls along, you know, midday for us. Yeah. So that's a typical week. It may not be overly exciting, but I try to do fit in um, hobbies, I think was really important um, you know, for me as of recently because I, I, 
I do experience burnout sometimes. You know, when you have multiple companies, um, management in place, and you're working through people a lot, I've just found that I'm the type of personality that if I'm going to be my best, I do need to do certain things. And I found that eating well, training, and having those that personal time seems to keep me focused and charged up for the people I'm leading. And you said that's uh, shooting and golf are your two things now, right? Yeah, shooting and golf, and then. I guess I'd put training in there, but that's like maybe even a separate thing, right? Like taking care of your health or your well-being. Um, but those are my two hobbies at the yeah. moment. Yeah. So I just want to talk about like the, kind of like how you manage your energy throughout the day because I think it's so important. I think so many gym owners are have so many ideas. They're trying to get stuff done. And, you know, it's managing your focus. It's managing your energy. It's managing your priorities. Like, how have you learned, especially those Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, like the Tuesday, Thursday sounds like they're pretty built, but the Monday, Wednesday, Fridays where it's kind of, you're left to your own devices a little bit more. There's no one really looking over your shoulder. We're in your home office right now. So you're basically here by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no one necessarily keeping you accountable on a daily basis. Um, How do you manage that energy and make sure that you're like, staying effective and and really maximizing that day where like you said you get two days out of every one day where i think most affiliate owners go into a week thinking they're going to get a full week and they get maybe a half day of like productive business work done right um this kind of goes back to traction more so i would say where even though it feels like my i have a complete free day um when you actually get into the time blocking side i'm stacked Um, It just may not be appointment-based. And um, one of the things that we find a lot of traction with and when we're talking about productivity, just like truly being productive, not busy, um, I try to focus in on what are those quarterly goals that we're focusing on, and then those get broken up into our weekly meetings. And then it's in those meetings where we're actually defining what our tasks are and what are the things that are propelling us forward towards those objectives. So I'm pulling out of these uh, key meetings. You know, We meet Mondays as our level 10 meeting, and it's in those meetings that are actually setting the projects or the tasks that are necessary. And then I fill those in throughout the week on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which is where I have my own specific tasks that I'm contributing to that team. And as does everybody else in that meeting. Nice. So when's a level 10 meeting happen usually? What time? Uh, we do those Monday uh, at 10 a.m. for the consulting company. And then uh, for that uh, owner's meeting, we do that uh, early morning Thursday. Okay. So And then that, it sounds like that builds out your calendar. Like yeah. your calendar might be somewhat empty going into that meeting, but then immediately after that you have a built out calendar for the week exactly you know and, and I recommend for those of you guys gonna go to this model um, Monday and Tuesday is is key because that's what really sets up everything for the week and then you really do have to sit with those tasks and say alright this is gonna take me an hour or I really need to budget two hours and block that time off and I think one of the ways that we're able to be so productive as a team is that um, we're realistic with times too. I can't tell you how many times I've made the mistake of saying, all right, I'm gonna get this project done in an hour and it takes four hours, right? And then your whole time block of all the other stuff falls off. So you do have to get really good at managing that time. Yeah, I find that that's a, that's yeah. a skill. 
Oh, totally. Um, and actually, we were talking about this before that, you know, there's so many, and I get this because you talk with so many gym owners way more than I do. There's so many iterations of what this end result could look like, what the gym could look like, what the class structure and how much personal training you're doing versus, you know, programming and all these different categories of your business. Um, but I think one of the key things that makes people successful is like being as an entrepreneur, being able to learn and develop new skill sets quickly, right? So how do you think about that? And like, I guess, how have you gotten good at that? When, or maybe what's something you're working on now? I mean, I don't know what's, what's the best way to kind of talk about this, but uh, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, for me, and I think this is the hardest for most small businesses, um, I'm in the state of refining who our ideal client is. And I wanna work with people that I can best serve. And in order to do that, you really have to ask yourself some hard questions on the income you want to make, the profit in your business, and the lifestyle you want to have. And I know tons of people making great money, but they feel like they don't have their time. And then there's other people that feel like they have their time, but they're not making the money. And I think when you can step back and really say, what am I trying to build based on the life I want to live? That's where I start to see real progress. Because you can get caught up chasing revenues. You can get caught up chasing um, every client under the sun. But it's not until that experience sets in when you say, well, am I really happy? And far too many early entrepreneurs don't ask themselves that question because you're so enthusiastic. You're so like propelled by this energy. And it's not until, and you guys out there listening, like, I don't know, maybe it's the second year in business, the third or the fourth, where you start to really consider even like yourself, right? Like you're kind of running on this high for the first two years and you'll just do anything. I mean, I, I remember waking up at four and then you go to bed at 10 and it's like, I can do this forever. And then soon <laughs> you can't and you actually feel like I don't ever want to do that again. So it's through that natural evolution of the business where yeah, you're finding yourself and you're finding where you're most productive as a team member, but then what do I want? And I think asking yourself that, whether you mentioned this before, like, is it quarterly that I ask, you know, what I want mm -hmm. and am I in the best role? You know, do we have our processes built out? Like, it's healthy to do that. And I think not having your shit figured out is okay. But ensuring that you have a plan and a strategy written out allows you to have that confidence because you at least have a direction. So that's how I, I look at it where, you know, I'm fine tuning right now as a consultant uh, in an agency where uh, I want to serve better. That may not mean masses, um, but it's impact and influence that I'm after. And uh, being in this industry so long, I want to make sure and be a part of it lasting. And for those owners out there that want longevity, they want lifestyle, and that's important to them, we're probably a great fit. And we've scaled companies fast. We've um, focused entirely on revenue and income, and I think that's a thing. But without a foundation of building uh, companies with systems and processes and considering what's the personal income, what's the business profit, what's the lifestyle that you want, it becomes just chasing maybe someone else's dream. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Andrew again. I hope you enjoyed part one of this interview with Chris Thorndike. Stay tuned next week for part two. 
If you guys want to reach out to Chris and talk to him about possibly working with your gym, head over to factoryforge.com and you can sign up for a free call.